Every legend is based on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, rated R. Welcome to Slash, a horror movie podcast. In season one of Slash, we will be covering every movie in the Halloween film franchise. Starting with the original 1978 John Carpenter classic and ending with the 2022 Halloween ends. Or does it? Slash is available everywhere podcasts can be found. You can follow Slash on Twitter at Slash Horror. And you can find every episode of Slash at fansnotexperts.com forward slash slash. Enjoy the show. And remember, it's fun to be scared. to you about Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. A six-year jump we've done here between Halloween 5 and Halloween 6, and we still have Dr. Loomis, but he's surrounded by a whole new cast of characters. However, some of these characters we've met before. We know well, uh, but there are new faces to those characters. In other words, they've been recast. And in fact, this movie, The Curse of Michael Myers, uh, is actually two movies. There's the original theatrical cut, the one that I did, again, go see in the theater in 1995. For some reason, I think I saw it on opening weekend. I was checking with my brother. He said it was a late night showing. um, And we went with our friend, his friend, Lance. Both our friends. Hi, Lance. You don't listen to podcasts. But, um, you know, he's he's my brother's good friend. 
And uh, see, I went because my brother's got this crazy memory. I remembered four. I didn't remember five or six. And he was like, oh, yeah, it was a late night. And we went with Lance. Lance. You're not listening. You're not watching this. But uh, if you were, um, what a night that was, huh? What a night watching a movie from uh, 28 years ago. Are we at 20? I'm trying to do the math. 95. Then you add 10, 2005. Add another 10. That's 2015. Add another 10. That's 2025. Then you pull it back by two and you have 28 years ago. Wow. Uh, this, As I said, this movie was released in September. Not an October movie, but right at the end of September. The, the last weekend of September to really kind of uh, jump into the Halloween season for all of October. And yet with um, with that season, it only pulled in a box office of 15.1 million US dollars on a budget of five though. So it's still a moneymaker for these inexpensive movies to be made. Um, now, before I go any further in the, the movie uh, lore, you know, talking about the movie and all that, all that whatnot. I wanted to give a quick shout out to um, a couple comments that I got on YouTube. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this. Uh, no, this only came five days ago. So, oh, and this was on the last video. So, Brandon, if you're watching this, uh, Brandon commented, I really like the show. Well, Brandon, I really like you because you really like my show. So, thank you so much for the comment. Uh, and for finding the show and Poppy or Popeye 129 commented back on the original Halloween video. Uh, great job. Now, of course, Slash is available anywhere and everywhere you can find podcasts. And I'm talking Apple. I'm talking Spotify and um, all the others. Uh, but every episode of Slash is also available on the Fans Not Experts YouTube channel. That's it. Uh, youtube.com slash at fans not experts or you can go to fans slash youtube that brings you there as well uh, there is you can find every video there's also a slash specific playlist that you can follow along uh, every episode of slash now before I go through the details of this movie I have to say, I watched the entire movie, took copious notes, and then I turned around and said, I'm going to watch the uh, the producer's cut. I've never seen the producer's cut. I've heard about it. I've heard that it's it changes a lot of things in the movies, in the movie. And it does change. It changes certain things, how things happen. Uh, but the major, the majority of the story, I felt was fairly similar. So I watched the whole thing on the first original. That was on Paramount Plus. Great, good, I have that, perfect. Then I went and found the producer's cut and oh, yes, of course, that is um, only available on the, uh, for rent. So I rented it on, on, on Google Movies and um, I'm not gonna lie, that one I put, I sped it up a bit because I was like, it was like 11.15, I said, I want to watch this and I'm going to uh, watch this as quickly as possible because 
I didn't feel like I was watching it to watch a movie. I was watching it to see the difference in things. And what it did show me was that decision de- decisions that happened um, for whatever reason in the original producer's cut, which I guess was screened and not loved, uh, they kind of, you could see some choppiness in the theatrical cut of how they cut around things to make things make sense without reshooting everything. Uh, they were like, well, we can make sense by this by just cutting it right before here and cutting it before this guy shows up. Uh, and so it's these little things that um, kind of, it works in in the long run as far as the story is concerned, but the overall story of um, the producer's cut, I think was a better story. Uh, so uh, before we go through step-by-step step, kind of walking through the movie, I like to uh, look at the Wikipedia production uh, section. I call it Slashopedia. And just kind of talks about how you get from uh, five to six. It says, after the less than enthusiastic response to Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, which came out only a year after Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, producer Mustafa Akkad put the series on hold to reevaluate its potential. Akkad felt Halloween 5 had strayed too far from Halloween 4, and the box office response was much lower than expected. As early as 1990, both Danielle Harris and Don Shanks were expected to return as Jamie Lloyd and The Shape, with the possibility of Donald Pleasance and Wendy Kaplan reprising their roles as well. That same year, screenwriter and longtime Halloween fan Daniel Farrens set out to write the sixth entry in the Halloween series. Farrens gave his horror film script to the producer of Halloween 5, Ramsey Thomas. Impressed by his writing, Thomas set a meeting with Farrens and executive producer Akkad. Farrens described the meeting. I spent weeks preparing for the meeting and came in with a huge notebook filled with Halloween research. I had the entire series laid out in a timeline, a bio for every character, a family tree of the Myers and Strode clans, as well as all the research I had compiled about the runic symbol Thorn that was briefly shown in Halloween 5. I laid out how I might, um, how I thought all of this might be explored in Halloween 6. Am I going to read this whole thing? Maybe I am. Ferenc, who knew the films, as well as Dennis Etchison's novelizations, intimately constructed a Bible of the entire franchise and presented it to the studio. The film lingered in development uh, as a planned October 1990 release was missed. But Akkad uh, persisted and began courting Michael Michel Sauvy in 1992. So V would reject the offer, and not long after, the producers entered a series of complicated legal battles ensued, which delayed, I'm not good at reading, which delayed plans for the sequel. Eventually, Merrimax Films, via a Dimension Films division, bought the rights to the Halloween series. Yes, this was the first one we saw with Merrimax at the beginning. Uh, concurrently with a legal battle, series co-creator John Carpenter teamed up with New Line Cinema to outbid Merrimax. Carpenter's proposal saw the film take place on a space station. What? Okay, John Carpenter, that would have been rad. The idea may have been re- referenced in a scene in, uh, which a conspiracy theorist calls 
the Barry Sims radio show ranting and CIA launching Michael Myers into space. So they might have referenced that. And it's also kind of funny. Uh, now I'm kind of going off the actual, uh, I'm, I'm summarizing what I'm seeing here, is that premise might have also inspired the plot to Jason X. Jason X coming someday to Slash. Don't you worry. We're going to talk about Jason X. I remember seeing that in the theater and loving it. Probably going to watch it again and think it's an okay movie, but the idea of it and the bonkersness of it is mwah, wonderful. So Miramax was on board. The studio hoped to start production in 93, but yet again, that didn't happen. Instead, Bob Weinstein hired Gary, oh, just hearing the name Weinstein, hired Gary Felder, Fleeter, to helm the film. Fleeter recommended Phil Rosenberg, who began the writer, who became the writer hired for the film. His script was titled Halloween 666, The Origin. It was hated by Akkad, who tossed the script across the room after he finished reading it. However, Miramax responded favorably to Rosenberg's work and opted to continue working, moving forward until Felder could drop off the film, citing creative differences. Hot off the success of Pulp Fiction, Tarantino was approached to write and direct the film. He declined, but instead suggested uh, Scott Spiegel from Evil Dead 2 to direct the film instead. Blah, blah, blah. I'm reading too much. This is getting boring. Uh, I thought it was going to be more exciting than that. It, look, it just, by the, it happened. I didn't even get the whole um, the whole production thing in here. I thought the first couple paragraphs would do the trick. It hasn't really. So, uh, long story short, uh, the actual credited writer was Daniel Farrens for this film. Now, you look up his credits, and it's a lot of horror and not much, you know. It's all like, it's like behind-the-scenes stuff. Scream, the inside story. Uh, then you have Crystal Lake Memories, Never Sleep Again. Those are some great um, documentaries on Friday and on Elm Street. But um, as far as writing big movies, he wrote like The Haunting in Connecticut, the Girl Next Door, but not the one with the, with the porn star. Uh, the, the Tooth Fairy, but not the one with The Rock. Uh, he, he did some Amityville movies, but I don't even think they're Amityville horror. Amityville The Awakening. Like, like, so this guy's still making movies, but he, he didn't do much after that. And I say this a lot. When you look at these um, credits, in fact, in just about everyone in this movie, except for one person, you look and they say, best known for... Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. And when you're in Halloween, curse the Michael Myers, the curse of Michael Myers. And you're best known for uh, Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. It means that you, you, you worked in the film industry, but maybe it didn't take off as you would have uh, liked. Okay. But in saying that, I want to talk to you about the director of this film, Joe Chappelle. Now, Joe Chappelle, if you go to his IMDb page, it doesn't say uh, the Halloween 5 is what you're know, he's known for. In fact, the first four things you see are Blackbird. A, he's a producer on that, which was on Apple this past year in 2022. Fringe, he was a producer on that for a year. The Wire, you know that? Godfather of Harlem. Uh, this year, he's he directed Godfather of Harlem, Blackbird. Manifest, which is an NBC show and a Netflix show, Chicago Fire. People watch that show. The guy went on to a lot of big television shows, some prestige television shows, uh, and he also directed Halloween, The Curse of Michael 
Myers. And he directed Phantoms? I want to say Ben Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, but I, oh yep, he's in that. That's his Phantoms. Boom. Same guy, Joe Chappelle, director of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Now, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's talk about this movie. As I said, it opens up with Dimension Films. Uh, and that, that, to me, I think became well-known because of Scream, right? I think, I think Dimension, I see Dimension Films, I think Scream. And uh, just also want to note that the man who played the shape, Michael Myers, in this film and in part four, George P. Wilbur, he uh, just just died on February 1st, uh, 2023. So he just literally passed away. Um, I thought it was interesting that during the opening credits, almost like most most of our cod got the... Uh, I said he wrote top bill. He got top billing. Like his, it was Mustafa Akkad presents Donald Pleasance in. And um, all of a sudden, on Mustafa Akkad, that like he's, his story, he, you know, I knew him from all the Halloween movies. And I think his son has taken over since then. He was killed in a terrorist bombing, which is just, in, just insane. I think that was in 2005 or 2006. Uh, so he's still stays he's still with halloween for uh i think for the rest of his life um but anyway to the movie like the movie starts says donald pleasant's in and um then all of a sudden we kind of we hear uncle michael to remind us that oh jamie is in this movie some sort she's in some sort of hospital but the fact that she says uncle michael like right away and by the way this isn't daniel harris this is a completely different actress uh, the actress by the name of, and I'm looking it up right now because her name is like low down in the credits because uh, she's barely a character in this movie. Wow, like she's not even on the first page. This is I'm I am embarrassed now to say that. <laughs> oh my God! I actually she was there. I'm just very blind. Uh, J C Brandy. I have no idea who she is. All I know is she was put in the tough decision of um, of um, filling the shoes that Daniel Harris was well known for. Why she didn't come back? I read something in the trivia that it said, uh, you know, she had some ideas about coming back, about making the schedule work, and it said they didn't meet her demand for a salary of five thousand dollars. That had to be fifty thousand or five hundred thousand. That was written. And it didn't make any sense. And maybe at least, unless I read it wrong, I swear it, read, it said five thousand dollars. This whole thing where she, they, she was still too young to work. She was seventeen, but they needed someone who was eighteen for all these. You know, I don't know for the intense shoot or something. She worked through getting emancipated from her parents just to be able to do this, and then ultimately didn't do it. Uh, now, if the if the character of Jamie Lloyd was, um given this story because Danielle couldn't come back. Um, it's, it makes a little sense, but if this was, uh, it makes a little sense of why, or it's a shame on the, on, for the actress, but it kind of makes sense that they're like, you know what? We, we don't have Danielle. Let's just, you know, do it this way. But if this was the, a Jamie storyline the entire time, whether it's the one from the original or the one from the theatrical, 
they're slightly different, but really not that different. Um, if this was the story the entire time, then that is like kind of bull. And I, if I was uh, Daniel Harris, I wouldn't have come back. I would have just stuck to um, the other stuff I was working on. I was on Roseanne, I think, for some episodes. I think that's all I would have done. Um, but it's not the end of Daniel Harris in the world of Halloween. Um, but we'll get there. There's, there's the, she shows up again. She, oh, does she show up again? Uh, uh, down the line. But we're not there yet. We're still in the original kind of world of, uh, of the original six is I talked about the original eight, you know, like the, this, these eight kind of live together, but I almost feel like this, well, no, no, because seven and eight kind of reference the past, but they also kind of ignore a lot of it. I don't know. It's this, this, this storyline is the most convoluted and all like, and yet it's the most successful. It's the most current as far as all the big slasher movies. It's the one with the most, you know, it's had three movies in the last five years. Uh, and yet it's the most all over the place. Uh, and this movie is in itself all over the place as far as what we see in the in the theater and what the producers wanted you to see. Oh, baby. So there's no, um, this is not called Halloween 6. There's no 6 or part 6 referenced in the titles or in the credits or anything you can quickly call it Halloween 6. It's almost like its nickname, but it's just Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Jamie's getting wheeled in in some sort of hospital. Uh, it's a very stretched screen, so it feels like you're in, a, in an early Alice in Chains video. It feels very 90s. Uh, but you see the hospital, it's, you think it's a hospital, then all of a sudden you think it's some kind of like cultic, cult rune, cult cave. I don't know what the hell it is. There's candles everywhere, but there's also nurses and you find out that Jamie's pregnant. Oh, 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 Jamie's pregnant. Some people will get that. Cool people will get that. If you're not, if you don't get it, doesn't mean you're not cool. But if you do get it, you are definitely cool. Uh, so the nurse, there's a nurse that looks like a complete normal nurse. And Jamie's going, ah, ah. And the woman says, Jamie Lloyd, push. Now, that's stupid. That is very stupid. Yes, we know this is not Danielle Harris at this point. We're like, who the hell is this? Jamie, that's Jamie Lloyd? That's their way of being like, hey, idiots at home. Uh, let me hit you over the head, boink. That's Jamie Lloyd, the girl from, the, from four and five. That's her. That's why we said her name. That's why the nurse said her in full entire name. In the, the producer's cut, I don't remember that happening at all. I'm pretty sure they cut that out completely. Um, but yet, while this is all happening, you think she's like held captive, all this craziness, and yet uh, there's someone there like giving her a nice pat on the head, like trying to make her feel comfortable and relaxed. So I thought that was that was sweet that this cult is, you know, has, has a softer side. Uh, and we see the man in black is there. He's got his boots. He's in black. And he takes the baby. He's like, I'm going to take that baby. And she's like, no, please, please don't take my baby. Uh, but he takes the baby. So the credits are still going on and we get, um, an interesting, an interesting credit that says starring and introducing Paul Stephen Rudd. Now I believe in the producer's cut, it says, Starring Paul Rudd. 
because this was filmed. This it says introducing. Now technically, um, he all, was already in Clueless, but this was filmed first, so that's why uh, he they was introducing Paul Stephen Rudd. Goddamn Ant Man is in a Halloween movie, uh, and I wrote down I can't believe this is a Halloween movie. Like right away we're seeing these like just druids cults i don't know they're in they're in these big ass robes and they have the baby and they're putting the the thorn you know that thorn um logo that we see all of a sudden showed up on the man in black's wrist and on um michael myers wrist a little tattoo i didn't realize it's an actual like uh rune or it's an actual you know symbol it wasn't created for uh halloween it was just used by it so we hear a voiceover it's paul rudd talking in the producer's cut it's uh it's donald pleasance it's almost the same thing but it's donald pleasance talking about um he's going to try to kill everyone in his family and they're they're kind of giving a quick origin of michael myers paul rudd said um one by one he killed his entire family until jamie lloyd was the only one left behind and I'm thinking, huh? What? He he killed his sister in 78. We or in 73. We know that. Uh, or wait, no, no. 15 years before 78. So 63. Kills his sister, 1963. That we know. It's been established. Judith Myers, bing, bang, boom. Isn't that the only family member he's killed? As far as I know? He didn't kill his parents. His current his parents kind of moved on. We don't, we actually don't know what happened with them. Now, we know he has a sister named uh, Laurie Strode, but he didn't kill her either, right? She died in a car accident that was established in part four. So I don't know who the hell uh, approved this line, but it makes zero sense. Now, I think in the Donald Pleasance, the producer's version, it says, um, hello, doggy. My dog's right below me. Uh, The producers, they say he's trying to kill everyone in his family. Okay, that makes a little bit of sense. Fine. All right. Uh, So while that's all going on, we see this cult. I talked about the baby, the the rune being painted on it. And it says six years ago, Michael Myers and Jamie disappeared. Now, there's no talk. Jamie disappeared as well. So in the end of part five, we see that Michael's removed from the the jail. We see uh, the man in black shows up, you know, shoots everyone. It looks like he's, you know, right out of a gangster movie. You dirty rat. Takes out everyone. They break Michael out of jail. But in um, this version, we don't see anything happening. I'm sorry, in uh, that end, we don't see what happens to Jamie. It just fades to black. In uh, In this film... They just mention it. They mention it, and there's nothing that comes of it. In the producer's cut, we do see at one point Jamie having a flashback, having a dream. I don't know when the hell it's happening, but we see uh, Michael being pulled away, like in ha- like almost in cuffs. He's in handcuffs, and he's being dragged away by these 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 men in black, and one of them grabs Jamie as well. So again, they say something in this theatrical cut. That makes very little sense. You're like, what? But in the producer's cut, it's there because it actually is shown. So there's some sort of, um, there's some sort of, like, uh, 
logic in the producer's cut that doesn't happen in the uh, in the theatrical cut. Now, even though um, the you know this nurse was there helping to deliver the baby and then give it to the old uh, man in black, this nurse uh, now all of a sudden is trying to get Jamie and the baby out of there to safety. She's like, come on, you got to save your baby. They run very, very slow. And, um, Michael Myers starts chasing them. It's almost like Michael's the official security guard of this weird hospital underground, whatever the hell it is, uh, that they also have, you know, these crazy, um, ritualistic caves and candles. Uh, but the nurse it's like, come on, let's go save your baby. Then the woman's like, I can't go with you. For some reason, the, 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 she leaves this woman behind. Now, uh, Jamie gets out of this very, very easily. She kind of runs, goes up some steps, comes out of a bulkhead. I mean, it was super easy. Why the nurse didn't go with her, I don't know, because the alternative, um, like maybe she thought going there would be terrible, but the alternative was worse because Michael came up behind her, grabbed her, picked her up, stuck her on her head uh, in a spike on a wall. Why the hell was there a giant spike on the wall? There was no reason. There's lots of no reasons. And why did this happen in this movie? And that's the, these are the type of movies that, that this kind of stuff happens. Now I know these are slasher eighties movies, nineties movies. Now at this point, these aren't high quality, high art, but sometimes it, you, you, you just say, what? Like, why is that happening? But that's our first kill of the movie. Kill count number one. Then we do get the the um, the Halloween theme. It's slightly different uh, for this movie. And I do like, I actually like that. I like that uh, the original has the original theme. Uh, two, I think, was slightly different. Three is its own movie. And then four and five, it's just a little twist on the original. You got the original ding, 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 ding. But it's just different enough that it's its own version for this movie. Jamie goes out outside, runs up, and um, Michael comes out of this bulkhead. He's like, just kind of walks up this bulkhead. And uh, what did I write? I forget if I hate this movie. <laughs> I, I said, I forget if I if I hate this movie. That's what I wrote down. Like watching that, watching it come out, I'm going, what? What? What is going on? I, I kind of remembered that, but I didn't... I haven't seen this movie, I think, since 1995. I honestly don't think I've seen this movie in 28 years. So there was such so little that I remembered about it, except for Paul Rudd and Loomis. And I think I thought Loomis falling over was in this movie, but that was in part five. His ending in this version, this theatrical version, is even worse. It's I don't know what the hell's going on here. Uh, so uh, Jamie gets up gets out of there, runs to a truck. She gets into this truck um, and uh, she falls down at one point. And I thought, oh, she just crushed her baby, but apparently she didn't. She gets in this pickup truck. And of course the guy's like, that's my pickup truck. What are you doing in there? And Jamie's pointing, go, no. He's like, what? Huh? What? And Jamie goes, look out behind. She's trying to yell, like warn this guy. He's like, what do you mean? And then Michael comes up behind him, takes this guy and basically rips his head off or something, you know, spins his head. I don't know. But Jamie takes the car and heads the hell out of here. And we're at kill count number two. Now, we're in Haddonfield. And we are with, uh, oh, the first thing we see is this kid 
in his room and we see this man in black with a knife and we hear kill for him Danny and it's like huh what like they started like they started adding something in uh like supernatural with kill for him Danny and the the mom comes in and there's nobody there he's like the voice man was there he says bad things now I am going to spoil this. I'm not going to, if I'm out of order, I don't care. They introduce something with this kid, Danny. They introduce something with him and being connected with this thorn thing, with this voice, um, and with maybe some evil. And then they completely forget about it and drop it 1,000% in this version. I, I shouldn't say 1,000%. It's mentioned one other time. But then it's dropped and it's forgotten about, uh, and everything's fine. In the in the producer's version, we get a little extra at the beginning, and I think most of the rest is pretty much the same, if I remember. So um, this kid apparently has nightmares, and he has a drawing on his wall that's the Thorn logo. Uh oh. So he's with his mom. His mom goes into her uh, bedroom, and she's listening to this radio show. And uh, this guy's talking about Halloween being canceled in Haddonfield since 1989. And I completely forgot that this radio program was a real part of this movie. The, the, the host, the story, the actual use of the radio comes into play in this, in this uh, movie. And the fact that this radio show is the most popular radio show. In fact, everyone has it on at night. Uh, everybody, like from old doctors to young mothers to, um, you know, young men, young creepy men uh, staring through windows across the street. Everyone has on this this show. And I read that it was offered to Howard Stern. Now, Howard Stern um, in 1995, that was before I became a hardcore listener. I've been a hardcore, everyday Howard Stern listener since 99 when I started. About a little earlier, I used to listen driving to school sometimes, but we lived at school, so I didn't listen that much. If I was smart, I would have listened every day on my, um, I would have got a, an AM FM radio, but it wasn't until I started to commute every day for work back in 1999 that I became a hardcore listener of him. And it is, this, this character kind of has that, I'm the shock jock, I'm the crazy man of radio. And I guess they, according to the trivia, it was offered to him and he turned it down. And I can just say, thank God, thank God you turned that down, Howard. I know you're not listening to this, but thank God you turned that down. Uh, but um, everyone's listening to this radio station. Now the mom, she starts taking, getting into her underwear. Apparently she's going to take a shower or something, but she does, she does it like slowly and like looking in the mirror for no reason, except for, you know, the teenage boys watching this movie and okay, maybe some of the older boys watching this movie. Uh, and, and it was really, um, you know, like gratuitous for gratuitous sake. I feel like you see that more in First of all, you see that more in horror movies all the time, but you see that more in these earlier movies. I don't know if they do it as much anymore because it is, it is called out. It is so like, you know, what's the point of this? Except you get to see this girl in her undies and you know who else sees her in her undies? Uh, Paul Rudd across the street, standing there like a creep with a goddamn, uh, um, I was going to say SLR camera, but it's, this is before that with a full, like camera film camera just pointing out the window and she's like huh what 
what's going on? Like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, like, so we, we don't know who he is yet, but he calls into this radio show too. Now, uh, the girl we meet, the mom, we don't know her name yet. I don't think, uh, so we don't, um, I don't know if she knows who's talking across the street, but Paul Rudd calls in and very interesting acting in this film. He's like, I know Michael Myers. Like he has an accent almost. I was there that night. I thought, is this guy putting on a Southern accent? Some kind of, it goes away. But I forgot that he's like, he's Tommy. He's Tommy Doyle from the original character from the original Halloween. The one the he's the boy that Laurie Strode babysat. But I forgot that he's Paul Rudd in this movie is kind of a weirdo. And knowing Paul Rudd, um, you know, I don't know him, but knowing what you know of Paul Rudd, you know, going on, you know, in years and movies he's been in, you see him and it's like, you must think he's, is he laughing? Like he doesn't, he's, he doesn't come off as a creepy guy, but in this movie, he, he, he does in many scenes when he's leaving the hospital, he has this weird walk, just all these things that are just a little bit, uh, a little bit weird. And so he calls in, he talks about, you know, how he knows Michael Myers and blah, blah, blah. And he's going to come back. Obviously the radio guy doesn't believe him. And then you get all these other people calling in about different conspiracies. And, um, we cut over to Dr. Loomis who's typing on what I believe is the world's oldest typewriter. And we're like, what about happened to that doctor, Dr. Loomis? Uh, oh, is he, is he, is he dead? Um, is he still alive? And, and then he turns and looks almost to the camera. He's like, oh, I'm still alive. Just retired. Like he was talking to the radio for, for no reason. Um, he just kind of answering out loud to the radio. Uh, Lo now Loomis lives in the middle of nowhere and we see some other doctor comes to visit him. Now, in the producer's cut, I feel like it's a little more. I feel like uh, we meet Dr. Wynn. This is Dr. Wynn. Now, he comes into play through this entire movie. Apparently, Dr. Wynn is the, is the doctor that Michael Myers, that, that uh, Loomis talks to outside in Halloween 1. Remember the guy's like, he can't drive? He doesn't have, he, how could he drive a car? Well, he, had to, he did a pretty good job of it yesterday. That's Dr. Wynn. And now uh, there's a new actor playing it. It's a guy from Lethal Weapon, from Liar Liar, from from um, from Dharma and Greg. This guy's been in a bunch of stuff, and of course he's Doctor Wynn in Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers. Uh, now I wrote down Loomis looks great with a beard, and guess what? He does. Now I didn't notice this, but his burns are gone. I'm pretty sure his burns are gone in this entire movie, and it's never referenced. But in the producer's cut, he says, oh, I got skin grafts. And um, yes, I'm, I'm glad people don't have to look at me like this anymore. Now he has a beard, but his, his scars are gone. And I'm trying to remember if the, if the original had it. Like, I'm thinking uh, he's like, I'm not putting that crap on, so come up with something. Or just let me, let me grow a beard out and we'll just forget about it. Uh, I don't remember if he has the scars at all. No, he doesn't. Because he, they, he, he's in both... You know, it's not everything wasn't reshot. So they just got rid of the scars and never mentioned them in the last one. I'm almost positive they don't bring it up in the original cut. I could be wrong, but I when I watched the the, the producer's cut, I thought, huh, he mentioned the scars. I didn't notice that. So that's my that's that's what I'm sticking with. Uh, so they're talking, and this guy says he's retiring. 
from uh, Smith's Groves, and he wants um, he wants Loomis to come back and and work there. Now, Donald Pleasance looks about one hundred and nine years old. He's, I'm talking like this in this room. He died during the produce, like the the post production of this movie. Um, I don't know if he was supposed to be in another Halloween if he survived. This movie and the and the producers cut have very different endings as far as what happens to or what we think happens to Loomis. But um, what the hell was I saying? <laughs> oh, uh, that the. He's so old, you'd want him to come back to Smith's Groves? Like, Smith's Grove? Why? Why would you... You know what? I, he's like, I handpicked you. And I'm, I might be getting the versions mixed up. But he says, I'm retiring, and I picked... And I want you to, to, to join, so please come back. And I'm thinking, if the board of directors come, you know, like, okay, who's your choice? Oh, it's a guy who's even older than me. Oh, that's, that's what you're going with? So... While uh, these two old guys are talking about a job prospect, because, of course, um, you drive all the way to someone's house. You don't just pick up a call, uh, phone and call them. Uh, Jamie, she, she got out. She got in that truck. She took off. She went to a bus depot, uh, which seems like it was almost abandoned. Um, like there's not one other soul there. And she gets to a uh, phone booth. She calls emergency services, but the lines, they're too busy right now, so they will not pick up. In the bus station, the, the radio station, that, um, that same radio guy, everyone's listening to this one station. So it's in the bus depot, it's at Tommy's house, it's at that young mother's house, and it's at Loomis's house. And they all hear, <clears throat> um, all of a sudden, Jamie calls into the radio station. She can't get through to an emergency services, so she calls the radio station, gets through, and she says, he's coming, he's coming. And they're like, he's like, who's coming? Who's there? Who's coming, honey? Michael Myers. Now, Tommy hears this, and he's like, what? Loomis hears this, and he's like, huh? Like, you could tell he definitely recognizes the voice. She's like, please, Dr. Loomis, are you out there? And then she hangs up. She doesn't say, it's me, Jamie. You know what? I guess... I was thinking, why wouldn't she say that? But I guess if they said, you know, then that would maybe alert the the thorn because they're obviously listening to because everyone loves this friggin' radio show. So she goes um, to the bathroom at a bus station. Now, the lights go out and all of a sudden she goes downstairs in this bathroom. All of a sudden, Michael Myers is there. She drove to this bus station. I don't know how far away it was. But it was, you know, it, it. she drove for a little while. Michael got there, no problem, got there quickly. Uh, I don't know how, but who gives a shit? So Michael comes downstairs and, you know, Jamie hides in the one of the stalls because that that's always works out well. He opens up one stall, he opens up another stall. Finally, the stall that, with her and the baby in it, and there's a window and you see, oh, wait, Jamie got away. She got away, and now she's driving very far away. But now there are um, there's these this van seems to be following her. Now, did these people drive Michael to the bus station? Maybe. I think I feel like they all work together because Michael just shows up wherever he needs to uh, for for no reason sometimes, just to kill people. Uh, which you know it's it's his thing. He likes to do that. But 
logically, uh, it didn't. It doesn't always make much sense. So uh, Jamie gets run off the road, and um, like she crashes, and she's bouncing around. And I'm thinking this baby like is has to be the strongest baby alive. Now it does make sense what ha- of of what we find out, but um, I have at this point I have no me- I had no memory of what happened. I was like I. Remember, I think Jamie dies in this movie, but I wasn't sure if it was right away or if it's later. And then I'm thinking, wait, was I seeing two different versions? I definitely remember this. I I definitely only saw this in the theater. So this is the version I must have seen. She goes into this barn. She's hiding for like two seconds. Michael Myers shows up right away. No big deal. And he's right there and he's close and he just, boom, stabs her stabs her or, or actually picks her up and puts her on this these spikes now for two movies jamie lloyd has been the main character the main like uh, target for michael myers for two movies and he kills her and they kill her off in 20 minutes i thought that was so dumb now what's interesting is she goes you can't have the baby michael so she didn't have the baby at all there is no baby. I was wrong about that. So I think Michael, it was like a, it looked like a roll of paper towels. He goes out to the car to check. And I don't know why, what he was checking because he never saw her. So how would he know she had a bag? So I guess he wanted to check to see if the baby was in the truck. It wasn't, but he pulled it out for us to say, Hey, remember that bag? There wasn't a baby in it. So again, dumb, but for us to see it, like sometimes I guess it's like, Hey audience, look at this. Don't forget, even though it doesn't make sense why it would happen in real life. But that's it. She's dead. Kill count number three. But that's only in the theatrical cut. In the producer's cut, she goes to the barn. Everything's the same. But Michael comes up quickly and stabs her. And she hits the ground. Now, in the, in the theatrical cut, he picks her up and puts her on this spike. And then he pushes her through the spike. Like, Urgh! Like this girl that... I remember in four and five, I'm thinking he doesn't want to kill her. He wants to be with his family, but they're saying, no, they want to kill every last member of any family he was in, um, any family that's related to him. The Strodes aren't related to him, uh, but he, we'll see what happens with him. But uh, he, I mean, it, it, it comes into play later because he wants to be the last, he wants to kill every last one of his family, but they make... They try to make sense of it. I don't know. It's dumb sense, but whatever. Uh, but in the producer's cut, he stabs her, and she she stays there lying down, and um, we come to find out that she is... Well, we, we, we don't know what happens to her in the producer's cut. She's just stabbed and left there. Uh, but in the theatrical cut, where con- theatrical... <laughs> in the theatrical version, we're at kill count three. You say things fast, sometimes they come out weird. Uh, so it's the next day in town, and guess what? Someone lives in the Myers house. This is the dumbest thing of this. The dumbest part of the whole movie to me is that the family who lives there, but they do bring some logic to it, or they bring some reasoning to it, at least. Uh, now it's the someone made a sign with like a Michael Myers mask on it, and he's coming back. And this guy, I thought they were trick-or-treating already. This guy's in his bathrobe. He's a weird dude. I'm like, you should skip this house. But it turns out, I'm yawning. It turns out um, this is in the morning 
And uh, these kids are just wearing costumes all day. It is Halloween day, though. Halloween uh, 1995. Now, they talked about Halloween being canceled in a town that cancels Halloween. Well, for a town that cancels Halloween, okay, everyone's in costume. Everyone has jack-o'-lanterns. Everyone has decorations. So maybe they just don't do trick-or-treating, I guess. So they have this huge rally to bring back Halloween, but where did it go? Unless this is the day people are saying, screw it, we're dressing in costumes because um, that radio station's coming to Haddonfield on Halloween to help them, you know, fight for their right to have Halloween. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, now we come to find out that this is the Strode's house. There are more Strode's. Why are they Strode's? Like, I tried to think, okay, logically, they're related to the family that Laurie Strode adopted. We, f- we find out later that the dad in this is the brother to Laurie Strode's dad. Adopted dad or the, the dad he knew. She knew. We come to find out that the mom says, I don't care if I'm jumping ahead. The mom says, you knew what happened in this house. That's why you got such a deal that your brother couldn't sell it. So, okay. They brought, because I was thinking, why the hell, if you were a Strode family, would you want to live in the house where your adopted niece uh, had a brother who killed her sister in his sister in that house? So much murder. In fact, just six years ago, they uh, th- they trapped Michael Myers in there with the chains over. Remember the chain net, and um, and Loomis had a stroke, uh, and it's like they all this stuff happened. Remember, it looked like an abandoned house in part six. Part seven, perfect. They clean it up very nice. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Part five. In part six, the curse, they clean it up. It all looks nice. They, um, you know, it's just a nice house to live in. I don't remember if it's even the same kind of structure. I have no idea. But um, the mom in this, we, we, I recognize her right away. That's Kim Darby. They make her look up, look so old in this movie, like, like her IMDb photo is like 30 years later and she looks younger than she looks in this. Now, if you know Kim Darby, most known uh, for being the original, the movie True Grit, she was the girl in True Grit with John Wayne. For people my age, she's most known for being uh, Lane Meyer's mother in Better Off Dead, saying such things as French dressing and French fries. You remember her? Yes, that is Kim Darby. That's the mom. The dad, I have no idea who he is, but he's some, he, at first I thought, oh my God, is that Thomas F. Wilson? Uh, you know, Biff. And I realized, no, it almost looks like he, he has the same hair. Or, you know, he looked like Tom Wilson if he really let himself go and let his hair go. This guy was the, the prototypical asshole abusive dad. And I was like, is it realistic? I don't know. Uh, you know, thankfully my dad didn't, didn't, didn't slap me, didn't say terrible things, uh, about me, uh, at least not, uh, to my face. Hi dad. Um, but like, what is like this guy? So I'm getting ahead of myself. So, um, we find out that this girl is named, her name is Kara. She lives in a house with her parents, her son, Danny, and her teenage brother, Tim. 
And the dad was the guy in the front yard who said, get out of here, kids. I hate Halloween and I hate kids. He's like, you know, kids are the worst. I hate them. And he's very abusive. And his dialogue is a little dumb and seems a little forced. He calls his grandson a bastard right to it, right in front of him. He slaps the mom right in front of him. And then all of a sudden, um, Danny pulls a knife on his granddad and holds it. She's, and I was like, am I supposed to care? Like, who is this? Who are these people? Uh, and it turns out that guy is Laurie's uncle which doesn't make sense. He's not that old. And this is almost, you know, 15, this is almost 20 years, 17 years. Well, I guess he could be. But um, he, now in the theatrical cut, we get a little something different. So um, little Danny, while the mother, the, the, girl, the, the mom, the young mom and her dad are arguing um, we get a kill for him, Danny. We hear a voice, and he looks outside and sees Michael Myers standing there. And then he gets the knife and holds it to his, you know, uh, to his grandfather. So it shows another connection with this kid and this thorn and this whole cult that, again, is completely forgotten about by the real, real end of the movie. Uh, so. Um, I was like, are they doing like, uh, they're doing another thing where Danny's a killer. They went from Michael, the kid to Jamie, the kid to now Danny, the kid. Is that what they're doing here? I don't know. And, um, and again, I don't know why they're Strodes except for that whole thing with your brother sold us this house. That's all I can guess. So, uh, they, Kara, we find that's her name. I don't even know if we find it out here. I just remember because I wrote it, wrote it down so much. Kara and Tim are the brother and sister, and Beth is the um, their friend. Now, I don't understand the age or how things work because is Kara in college and are Tim and the sister and the girl, no, Tim and the girlfriend in high school? Are they in college? Are they Because they all go to the same school. It seems like I do not know, and I don't care enough to investigate it really any further um but her friend is dating the brother i guess i don't know at the beginning i thought this was like uh i don't even know how old Kara's supposed to be at the beginning i thought she was like a like a, a woman in her 30s now i feel like she could be 22 i don't know and again i don't care but they're um they're driving along and beth lives across the street in this boarding house so they must be in co like college age at least uh, they, they live across the street in this boarding house and she talks about Tommy. He's like, oh, who's that kid across the street? Because she saw him taking pictures yesterday. Oh, that's Tommy. He's weird, but he's harmless. And Tommy is like standing right up against the, this big window. He's just looking, like staring at them. And she's like, oh, you know, it's nice living there because uh, Mrs. Blankenship, I think that's the the landlord. She does. She's so old, you know, she doesn't hear a thing. You know, it's it's a great place to live. She likes living in that boarding house. And of course, Mrs. Blankenship comes into play later. Now, meanwhile, Loomis and Dr. Wynn, um, they're talking and they found they find out from his secretary. We didn't hear Jamie Lloyd. Her body's been found. Now, this is said in both versions. They found her body. Um, this is said in both versions. Uh, but later we'll see that there's a difference between um, between the uh, theatrical and the producer's cut. 
So, um, and also, where the hell did Danny go? In the producer's cut, I think we hear him. She says, okay, go get your bus. And in the original, she's like, all right, bye. And she gets in the car. And it's like, what's going on? Huh? He, where'd that kid go? Uh, so Tommy is inside the house. He is like an obsessed investigator. He listens over uh, radio calls. Oh, he's listening to the call that uh, Jamie did. And it's a little like, he hears some like, uh, some kind of um, static. And he twists a few knobs and all of a sudden the static's perfectly clear because that's how that works. And now he can hear the bus call. He can hear the PA in the background of, get on, you know, bus 25 is ready. So he's like, wait a second. It's almost like the fugitive when they, when they heard the, the uh, L train in the background. Like, can you, can you um, hear, you know, can you just, just listen to, to pinpoint that one sound? So he goes to investigate. Because Tommy's a full-blown investigator in this movie. He goes to the um, to the bus station, and he sees blood in the phone booth at the bottom that nobody else sees. And he looks, and he's like, the blood trail follows, follows, and he follows it to the bathroom. And he goes down, and he touches the blood, and he's like looking at it, like because he's a creep for some reason. And all of a sudden, he hears a baby crying. And it is the, tr- the true last of the Myers. Is, is, is. He, uh, and he's like, hey, little guy, you're going to come with me? And he just takes the baby and i'm thinking okay um what's he gonna do with this baby but he actually does the the correct thing so loomis and win go to uh the murder scene the barn for some reason i'm not sure why the two doctors would go there when there's a you know a, a dead girl there but they see this big thorn logo burned into the hay and Loomis says, that's Michael's mark. He's come home. Since when, Loomis, has that been his mark? When did you discover this? Because we only discovered it in part five. Uh, but in this, um, you know, in this story, it's like, oh, yes, we know all about this, this, uh, this, this thorn, uh, l- you know, logo symbol. Uh, so that's the end of Jamie Lloyd in this version. She was put on that that machine and killed. But in the producer's cut, she's still alive. And he's like, Jamie, Jamie. So they add, they, they edit around it, that, and he, he says a few things, but then it all kind of shows everything that we see in the producer's cut, except there's a sheriff there who's like, we don't want you around here. We don't need you around here. What are you doing? You're going to cause trouble. And I think, you know, Loomis says something like, trouble's already here. In the theatrical cut, I don't think there's a goddamn cop in this entire movie. In fact, at the end, I thought, I wrote, where are the cops? I didn't see one cop in this entire movie. In the producer's cut, here are the cops. They're there for five seconds, and they're nowhere. I don't think we see them ever again. Uh, So we cut over, and we see um, Kara, Beth, and Tim... And they're now at their, the campus of whatever school they all go to. I don't know. I don't know if they, the part of it's a high school and over here is a junior college or a college. I don't know. It's not that important. But when you watch these movies and you're looking for logic and you're like, what am I looking at? Sometimes you just like, you get confused. Um, now, it was funny. Tim's like, tonight's going to be killer, man. Uh, the, which, of course, it is. It is, Tim. Oh, sure it is. So they, Kara drops all their books and then they pick up and they see the picture that Danny drew of the thorn logo. But on the other side uh, is a drawing of him stabbing his mom 
and his grandparents and Uncle Tim, killing them all. And Tim's like, I think it's cool. <laughs> and he gives like almost a butthead laugh. Um, so in the, that's the end of that scene. But in the producer's cut, they split and she keeps walking and looks around. She's looking. And then you see Michael standing there like, ah, I, I'm looking at you. I don't know why he's looking at, at Kara. I don't know what connection he thinks he has with her. But he is. Maybe it's the whole Thorn thing. I don't know. Uh, so we jump back over to Tommy. Tommy is now, um, he brings the baby to the hospital, which is smart. He yells at this woman, I need a doctor. I need a doctor. The woman's like, oh, she calls security. Then he runs into Loomis. Now I wrote, Loomis is there because I guess he needs to be there in order for Tommy to run into him. Because why else would Loomis be there except in the producer's cut there when and Loomis are there because, because Jamie's alive and they went to the hospital to make sure that they were, um, you know, that she would be okay. So it makes sense that he would be there. Now, Loomis looks at Tommy and he doesn't recognize him at all. And then Tommy's like, it's me, Tommy Doyle. I was, uh, you know, Laurie Strode. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, um... Uh, they're talking about, um, you know, what, what happened in Michael Myers and, and, and Loomis says, uh, she's the last of the bloodline. And Tommy goes, no, she's not. And holds the baby. And this is at the 30 minute point in the theatrical cut. I feel like it's later in the producer's cut. So I was like, I always liked, I, even though I, I think I forgot last time, I like to look for those 30 minute plot points in these 90 minute movies. Plot point one, um, he has the baby. The baby is now in the good guy's hands, and now um, they know Michael's back. They know um, that Loomis knows that the baby exists, exists, and they need to keep that baby safe. Now, in the producer's cut, they said if she if she dies, she is the last of the bloodline. And then Tommy goes, "No, she's not." So it's the same scene. It's just they just clip off a little bit, um, and it when you watch it. After seeing the producer's cut, it does feel a little clunky. Um, but this is when they mentioned the Strodes are living in the in the Myers house. And that's I, I wrote I mentioned this already. I wrote down in my notes. You think about the the logic of that. And I wrote, sometimes movies prefer convenience over logic, and that is so dumb. And yet I say that, and there is they do kind of give a little bit of explanation to um, why they live in that house. So I take it back as far as it's, it's kind of dumb still that they would do that, but they give a reason. And what's actually what is dumb is later we find out none of them know, except for the dead. None of them were aware that this house was a murder house. Like what? It's the biggest talk of the town. They know all about Michael Myers, but this is where he lived, you would think people would pop by. Those kids at the beginning making the sign on the front yard, they knew it. But the friggin' people inside the house didn't know it. I find that uh, ridiculous. So the the hospital security goes to kick uh, Tommy out, which is also dumb because he has a baby. He tells Loomis to meet him at the big rally, you know, the big rally to save Halloween. And then he leaves and he gives this like weird, creepy thing like he's Dr. Frankenstein or something. He's like, uh, I didn't, I didn't quite understand it why he did it but that was a paul rudd choice and what has that guy ever done so we're back at home and michael is right across the street 
uh, from where, where his old house, where Kara lives now. And of course, her mother's out there, and she will never look up to see the big killer standing right across the street. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You can only get away with Michael Myers standing out in broad daylight once in the first movie. Every other time is just, you like, you would assume there's that killer that has come back so many times, there he is again. And in the broad daylight, people would notice him. In the first movie, you would think it's Halloween. There's some guy in a Halloween mask. What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the problem? These, the hardware store sells these masks. It's not a big deal. Uh, but if you, any other time they bring back that daytime Halloween shit with Michael Myers standing right there, it just, it's stupid. It's stupid because, again, it only works once. Now everyone knows who he is. The fact that they keep selling that mask in that town is, uh, is like, uh, ridiculous. It's, it's insane. But, um, back to going to kill, uh, uh, Kara's mom. Oops. Did I say, did I say too soon? So, uh, she's ready to do some laundry and she looks at the laundry, the washing machine, and they zoom in on the washing machine. Like it's supposed to be spooky. Like, what? what? What's going on here? And then a fuse popped and water is flooding everywhere. And all of a sudden there's, there's, there's someone in the house. But it's not Michael Myers. It's Loomis out of nowhere. He's in the house. And he's like, I'm here to help your family. She's like, who the hell are you? I'm Dr. Loomis. I'm here to help your family. Now we jump over to Tommy. He brings the baby home and he's like, I'm going to name you Stephen. Now that is uh, Paul Rudd's middle name. I don't know if there's any connection there, but he's in the he's in the room with his baby with his baby, and the woman who runs the boarding house she doesn't seem to care at all. They keep showing her, uh, just kind of wandering around, not listening, not paying attention. But uh, that's going to something's going to happen with that. I do like the little payoff with that. Uh, he says to the baby, "I won't let anything happen to you." Oh, Tommy, you creep. Um, it's true though. In the long run, he does. He does. Uh, he does. Not let anything happen to the little baby. So um, Loomis is, in, is now telling Mrs. Strode all about this Michael Myers stuff that she apparently didn't know. And that's stupid. Um, like the, I said, the house was boarded up six years ago and now, and now a nice family lives in it. I don't mean to tell people where they should live, but if I were the Strodes, maybe don't buy the house that your, you know, your stepdaughter's, your stepniece's brother killed her, her other sister. I don't care if it's a quaint fixer-upper. These are all these notes I'm writing before it is actually revealed uh, that the brother um, bought, that the dad did know. Again, so that takes away the why they live there. It doesn't take away that no one else knew about it, which um, is, like, just dumb. So we go, uh, we see Danny walking home from school, and all of a sudden, there's the, oh, I think the van with the radio guy is going to be there. And then another van. The man in black is there. He's in his complete outfit. He's got his steel toe boots. He's got a full black mask on. And he's just standing there. And I'm thinking, okay, no one, well, I guess one of the cops could say, hey, um, this guy uh, who, met, who fits this descript, description killed a bunch of cops and uh, broke Michael Myers out of Haddonfield. And he's back again. Just standing there looking at Danny. Very creepy shot. Um, and again, it it kind of brings up the Danny is part of this. Okay? Even though I guess later he isn't. 
Um, so, yeah, there's some, some weird things that happen in this movie. And I have my notes, but I'm trying to remember too. Uh, so, at this moment, uh, Tommy shows up. Now, I don't know what Tommy thinks, if Tommy thinks there's a connection here. Oh, you know, he's been kind of doing these studies, I guess. Uh, so he um, he knows that they're going after anyone in that house, I, which I think is only said in the producer's cut. I don't know, but he shows up. He makes Danny drop his pumpkin. He's like, oh, sorry about that. Um, but we know we can trust Tommy. But at the same time, this little kid, Danny, just trusts this creepy dude a little too much. So um, before they get home, Mrs. Strode calls the mister, and he's all worried. And that's he, this guy is very dismissive. She's like, they said Michael Myers uh, killed his family in this house, and now he's broken out, and they found that Jamie Lloyd. Somebody killed her. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you, I don't, she just told you what she's talking about, you friggin' idiot. I, that, that is the quintessential, like, oh, this guy's so stubborn and so stupid. Like, there's, there's dismissive. And then there's just unrealistic. She's like, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving and I want you to come with us. Even though he's an asshole, she still wants him to come with her. And he's like, he's like, listen, you've been listening to, watching too many of those talk shows, those daytime talk shows. But she's like, you knew. You knew your brother, your brother sold you this house because he couldn't sell it to anyone else. And you knew. He's like, I'm not going to listen to this. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so they, she hangs up on... Um, oh, while she's talking, Michael's standing in the background in the house. Now he's in the house with her. Then he's gone. They hang up. Mr. Strode pulls out a drink uh, in the producer's cut. He pulls out, he takes a a picture, a photo of his daughter. He's like, this one's for you, kid, or something. And then he starts drinking at work uh, while Mrs. Strode packed a suitcase. But earlier in the, in the when she was doing the laundry, she put um, an axe in a, in a uh, basket. And brought it into the house. And now the basket is there. But the axe is missing. There is. Whoa, no axe. And then the phone rings. And um, Michael's back again. And someone says, we want the child. And she's like, huh? And now she sees Michael. And she freaks out. So I'm going to stop this for a second. We want the child. Now, it's Danny, right? They don't want the baby. They wouldn't think the baby's at this house. They have no idea where the baby is. They think they don't even realize the lucky coincidence that the baby just happens to be right across the street. The whole thing they're trying to do, the baby's right across the street. So why are they looking for Danny too? Because Danny's also part of this, even though later on he's not part of it. Uh, so she hangs up. Now she starts running. She runs in the backyard and she runs um, through this through like this laundry and all of a sudden she's like, Oh no, a fence. And I'm like, bitch, this is your house. You know, there's a fence there. It's your yard. Oh my God. Someone put up a fence in my own backyard. So she's going through all the, all the laundry, you know, that pesky laundry. And, um, she pulls down a sheet and Michael's right there with the ax. And he just swings that ax and kills her blood everywhere. And I'm, and I'm wondering, is this the first ax kill for Michael? And I think it is. Like he's mostly a knife guy. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a, he's really, um, he kind of like really is identified with a nice big butcher knife. Uh, but he, he did the ax here and this is kill number four. Now these movies, you know, these are, it's about a slasher killing people. This is only the fourth kill and it's actually been 20 minutes. 
since the last kill. Two seconds later, we see Kara heading home. Uh, it's And again, I, th I don't know what time of day it is, but there are random kids in costume all day, even though Halloween's canceled in this town. Uh, so, except for the big rally, maybe it's again for the big rally because everyone wants Halloween to come back. Um, so she goes around, she can't get in her house. She goes around the back. She's like, mom, mom. And she goes around the back and there's not one drop of blood. The body's gone. And it is so, like Michael, he's such a good, like neat freak. He cleaned up everything. Okay, blood was all over one of those sheets 30 minutes ago. Now it's nowhere. Nothing on the ground, nothing on the steps. Nowhere noticed, nothing. Uh, she goes in the house and it seems like nobody's home. She goes into Danny's room and creepy Tommy is sitting there on the bed with the baby. And when did they get there? What the hell? Wasn't your, your grandmother just axed like two seconds ago? Uh, now, I think he, in, the, in the producer's cut, I don't know. Maybe it was in this one too. They're like, where's mom? Oh, I don't know. She wasn't there when we got there. You know what? I, that might have been in both ones. Um, but in the producer's cut, I'm pretty sure we hear these terrible video game sounds for Danny because Danny's playing the uh, Game Boy. In 1995, I feel like was that still the it was still the original Game Boy in '95. Game Gear was already out by then. Uh, thank you, brother. Um, but um, they have no idea where the mom is. And Danny's like, "Do you know whose room this used to be?" And then he's like, "We need to get out of here. I need you, I need to keep you safe." They listen to this kid, this and automatically go right back to his house. Two seconds later, they're they're in the house with him. And, um, you know, he's like, we need to look out for Michael Myers. And two seconds later, it's already dark out. And Michael Myers is standing right outside. Danny's looking out there and sees Michael Myers. And he's like, mommy. She's like, not now, Danny. It's like, Danny, say, hey, there's a guy out there with a white mask. Is that Michael Myers? Dan hey, mom, get your ass over here. But instead he closes his eyes and goes, then reopens them. And the boogeyman disappears. And it's like, ah, oh, that's like, I always wonder... Every time, you know, there's a shot of Michael just standing there, how quick he must run out of the out of view so that they don't see him. He must be exhausted. That's why he walks most of the time, because he has to run so much to get out of shots and get out of the way and hide that when it's finally time to chase people, he's like, I'll get you eventually. So at this point, Tommy explains all about the runes and Thorn. And um, he, in the producer's cut, he kind of goes more into it. He explains it a little more. Uh, but he talks about these symbols being used in pagan rituals. And uh, Thorn represents a demon that brought sickness. And according to legend, one child from each tribe was chosen to be inflicted with the curse of Thorn. He thinks Michael, uh, I guess, is the one that's cursed. And now he wants to... Um, he wants to kill another member of his family to pass on the curse of Thorn, I guess. He also says that Thorn is part of a constellation and appears on Samhain, Halloween. Um, and whenever it appeared, Michael appeared. Uh, but with that logic, you could say that uh, whenever, you know, whenever the constellation appears, trick-or-treaters appear because it's on Halloween. So again, that's doesn't quite line up with what I like to call 
logic like, ooh, this is interstellar. Um, it's, it's not even stellar. Never mind interstellar. So, uh, but he thinks the baby, yeah, he thinks the baby uh, is, they're after the baby for Michael's final sacrifice. The producers kind of think explains it better, explains it more. He goes into detail about some of the killings, uh, which I guess they didn't need in the theatrical cut. Then he heads out. He's like, all right, you guys, I need you to be safe. Okay, I'm going out. They're like, where are you going? To find the only man who can stop him before it's too late. And I'm thinking, wait, is that Loomis? Because Dr. Loomis has been proven time and time again, he is not someone who can stop him. He has yet to stop him. He shoots him six times, doesn't stop him. Blows him up, doesn't stop him. He takes all these cops to blow him, to shoot him into a well, doesn't stop him. Throws a, throws a, a net on him, throws him in jail, doesn't stop him. So Loomis is a failure. He, and he doesn't do, a th he does some stuff, but he never does enough. And I think he just loves, it's the thrill, he, it's the juice, he wants this. It's like the Joker and Batman, they need each other. Um, well, apparently Michael does outlive Loomis, but um, it just, to me, he's the one, he's proven, if anything, he's proven that uh, he can't stop him. So maybe go to someone else. Now, at the hospital, um, there's a doctor there who tells Loomis and Wynn that uh, she just gave birth within the last 24 hours. But where's the baby, asked Wynn. And Loomis is like, I think I know. What do you mean you think you know? You 100% know because friggin' Tommy told you. Now, in the producer's cut, this is where it gets a little different. So Jamie's taken to the hospital. We see her, um, at one point, Loomis talks about she was stabbed by a knife. Now we see her in the operating table and we see a doctor go, like, pulling something and he pulls this big-ass knife out. Like, the knife was in her the entire time the... Through the hospital, through the, the ambulance, they kept the knife in her, and the doctor's looking at the knife. Very dumb. But this is where Jamie has these flashbacks to seeing Michael getting taken from the jail, to seeing, um, to being taken. And I think we get some flashbacks of her in the, uh, the cult, too. I don't know if she was tied up to a few things. I think we get some of that here. Um, it's, it's, Again, it's confusing what we get and what we don't get. But then in the hospital, we get like, your time is done, Jamie. And she gets shot in the head with a silencer by the man in black. She's killed in the hospital. And the way they do it is actually kind of an interesting edit where they the gun sound is eclipsed by the, the sound of a flash from a camera taking a photo of the crime scene of her being murdered. Um, but again, that is, you know, then he talks to the doctor, say, how could you not protect her? He's like, look, we found some placenta flu fluid. There's a baby. Okay. So that's where that kind of flows together. Um, now the land, they're back at the house. They're now in this boarding house. And this landlady, Mrs. Blankenship says, oh, hello, Danny. Because um, Kara's like, where the hell did Danny go? He went downstairs and he's watching TV with the old lady. And she starts telling him about the history of Halloween and how there used to be these bonfires and people would dress up and they'd party. And while we're seeing this, we're seeing Tommy at the pep rally. He's looking for Dr. Loomis. So when Loomis does walk, bump into him later, it makes sense because they were, they told each other to meet them there. It's nice when actual logic 
shows up. You know, it actually makes sense. Um, so Kara comes downstairs and the landlady says that she was babysitting little Mikey Myers the night of the murder. She says, you know, that, oh, he's got the voice talking about Danny and says she was babysitting Mikey Myers the night of the murder. Now, they, she lived across the street from the house. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? Uh, you know, this is, um, when did, when was she babysitting Michael the night of the murder? Like, did Michael get, like, leave her house, go across the street and kill her sister? You know? maybe that 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 ha- that could be some logic now she could have said i was babysitting that night he got out of my house and he went across the street that would have been like well that's kind of cool cuz that actually does line up it explains it sort of i guess um but you know apparently it would all be her fault for letting the kid out of her sight uh, she explained that the voice told him to kill his family and she thinks Danny's hearing the same voice. Now, while she's saying this, we do get a glimpse of Michael just standing in the window. Again, why would he just be there? And she, no one noticed except us watching it. But it is a cool little visual. Uh, but I want to say that's BS. Because if he was told to kill his whole family, why did that little shit just stand there when Mr. and Mrs. Myers came home? And Michael, they took the mask off and they all just stood there. And he just stood there like, yeah. Why did he just be like... Why does he like start stabbing them? Like, I'm going to stab you and stab you because, because the voice told me to kill. Uh, I'm like, how, how does this get written? Uh, uh, but I, again, Michael being outside was, was kind of cool. Uh, so Tommy's at the prep rally and um, the radio DJ is there and everyone loves this dude. He's the wacky shock jock. And um, I wrote down, Tim and Beth are there too. And I can't believe I remember their names. They've done nothing. We last saw them at school. This is Kara's brother and her boyfriend, which is also Kara's friend. They've done, they haven't done much, uh, but they're all dressed up in costume and they're at the, uh, the big pep rally. So we cut over to Mr. Strode. He is home and he's drunk. He's like, he almost like crashes the car uh, and he gets in the house. He's like, God damn, she actually left. Uh, and of course the power goes out in the house. He's in the, in the house alone in the dark. And uh, then he goes into the basement. Now, the washing machine is acting up. And the washing machine is flooded. So he looks down, he sees water all over the ground. He goes to investigate. Now, he's looking at the washing machine like it's dramatic. Why is there drama with the washing machine? Now, think about this guy. He gets home, he's drunk. The washing machine's going a little crazy. Why would he be nervous to open it? Now, us as viewers, we could be nervous because we know that there's been a murder in the house, and we don't know, maybe maybe there's a body in that thing. But instead of, you know, us being nervous and him not caring, because that's what it should be, he's like, what is going on? What could possibly be in that washing machine? And guess what's in the washing machine? A sheet, laundry, a bloody sheet. Yes, that is right. Michael Myers put the laundry on. He took the sheet down that he killed the mom, took the sheet off that, cleaned up all the blood, and he was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this? What's going to happen when they get home? I'm going to be in trouble. So he takes the sheet with all the blood on it, runs down, puts the laundry on. 
I don't know if he put enough soap in or because this thing didn't, it didn't look clean at all. It was just completely red. Uh, and right then and there, perfectly timed. Michael Myers is right there. He's like, hey, I put the laundry on. Boom, stabs, stabs this guy. Okay, picks him up. Then uh, there, he he brings him over to like, there were fuses, um, they were popping. Brings him over to these fuses and just smashes them against the fuses, which electrocutes him. I'm not sure that would happen in a house, but it happened in this house. So much so that his friggin' head exploded. He exploded. His head, boom, like an explosion. If that could happen in the house I'm in right now, I need to live like in the woods. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yet it happened. Now, in the producer's cut, everything almost happened exactly the same way, except he got electrocuted and then he slumped over. Much easier. I guess they wanted something cool. Well, it, it was, it's in 1995, not 1985. That was really, really dumb. So at the pep rally, um, we see this guy dressed in black who comes up on stage and he pulls open his jacket and he's like, ee, and he's the, the wacky DJ. Uh, and he is up on stage interviewing Tim and Beth about Halloween. Why them? I don't know. I might have missed that, that they were the ones who were going to be talking to this guy. I didn't, I didn't make the connection there at all. But um, he's like hitting on this girl. He's like, hey, do you, do, you, do you bark like a dog? And do you dress in, you know, um, I forget what he said, like dress in nighties and bark like a dog, like stirrups, like real corny stuff. Um, but I'm like, is this girl supposed to be in high school or college? This is really creepy. Now, apparently in real life, she's 24 and the ex-wife of Giovanni Riabisi. Did I, did I say that right? Giovanni Ribisi. That's close enough. But um, they're talking, they're talking. And she mentions that uh, Tim's family actually lives in the Myers house. And again, Tim's like, we do? Huh? That is the epitome of dumb. There's no way this guy all his life would not have known that he lives in the Myers house. The entire town knows you live in the Myers house and yet you don't. But that Barry guy is like, huh, that gives me an idea. And he's like, when we come back, we're going to be going live to the Myers house to do the show there. So this Barry Sims radio guy, he goes, um, he's like heading back to his van and he's like complaining to his producers, like, finally, you know, you're going to get me out of this boat dunk town. And I'm, he's finally excited to um, to have uh, something interesting to do with the show. He gets in the van, and right away, Michael Myers is in the van and kills him. Why? I don't know. Was he listening to the radio? Uh, and he, So he knows that they're going to his old house. Did he run from the house to the pep rally? Like, he was in the parking lot, and he killed him right away. And it makes no sense. Um, and, like... Oh, so kill count is at six now, but in the producer's cut, it's actually slightly dumber. Uh, and it kind of gives something away. So in the producer's cut, we see the radio guy get in the van. He gets in the wrong van. And then the camera tilts back and it shows that the van is from Smith's Grove. Like, wait a minute, Smith's Grove? What are they doing? Why would, why would they be near there? Why is Michael Myers in this van? Then Michael Myers kills him the exact same way. And then they pull away from the van and they show another van, which is the radio van. Like, oops, you got in the wrong van. But if they are showing Smith's Grove as part of this, 
then maybe you're, you all of a sudden realize, well, who else is part of the thorn? Is this all connected? And who, was, who mentioned Smith's Grove already? So if they kept that, it, it is a real illogical choice. And again, why would Michael, but even why would Michael be in that van in the first place? I guess they're like, that means that someone else driving Michael around. I, I don't know. And what's even better is where the body is later when we find the body. Okay. Cause we go back to the house and Tim and Beth are there alone. Beth kind of tells him the story of Michael Myers. And, um, he's like, I don't like this. I don't want to, I don't like what, you know, please don't talk about this anymore. I didn't know this was going on in my house. Okay. Um, they're waiting, they're waiting for the radio guy to show up, right? But instead, they go and they get ready to have intercourse, okay? They're going to sexually uh, copulate, uh, even though apparently a radio guy and who knows, producers are going to show up. I don't know. Uh, we jump back to the, um, to the, the uh, you know, the, the, where they were, the fair, the, the fundraiser, the, not the fundraiser, you know what I'm talking about. We jump back to the pep rally to save Halloween. And um, this girl's like, mommy, it's raining red. It's raining red. Mommy, it's raining red. And it's like, huh? So pa Tommy's like hearing this. Tommy's there and he, he looks and he spots this kid and she's like, it's raining red. The producer's cut. It's pretty much the exact same thing. I feel like the timing is edited slightly different, but it's not, it's not that different. Uh, and Tommy looks at this girl and this girl's covered in blood and she's like, it's warm. <laughs> and, and he, Tommy looks up and you literally, um, you see the body of the DJ wrapped in like almost Christmas lights. This thing looks like the worst awful looking fake dead body, um, and literally decorations today for people's homes look better than this. But more besides that, let's take it at face value that this is the actual dead body of the DJ. When did this happen? There are dozens, if not hundreds of people at this, at this pep rally to save Halloween in a town where Halloween uh, brings back a killer uh, every few years. But let's save Halloween. Um, maybe get ready for Thanksgiving, you know? I feel like Thanksgiving in Haddonfield is the most depressing um, holiday because it's like, oh, we just, you know, we lost a bunch of people again this year, oh, past the stuffing. But um, so everyone's there at the pep rally. So Michael kills this dude in the van. Again, dumb. But he's, Michael is wherever Michael needs to be in this movie. So he kills them in the van. Uh, he, he um, then... Logically, he takes the body out of the van, drags him over like all these people, climbs a tree with him, with the body, climbs the tree. Michael's pulling himself up. He's like, oh, come on. Takes the tree, puts him into the tree, wraps him up and leaves him there. And that's how the body of the DJ gets found. This thing hits the ground. People start screaming and freaking out. And you're thinking, okay, now people know that there's a killer on the loose, um, in town, and it must be Michael Myers, he's back. You must see some cops or something, but I don't remember seeing any cops at all. Um, and like, I don't think we ever see any other like reference to the DJ or anything like that. But when the body hits the ground, Loomis is right there. He's like, Tommy, Tommy's like, Loomis, boom. Uh, and he's like, Where's the baby? Um, so back at the house. 
Remember, Kara is with the baby and Danny. So Loomis and Tommy are together now. They're going to head back to the house. Um, back at the other house across the street, the Myers house, Beth and Tim are there and they're, you know, they're shagging. Uh, and he's in, he's in his sister's bed. And she's like, we, I didn't think we were going to do this in my sister's bed. She's like, uh, he was like, it was your idea. Gross. Yuck. And I'm thinking, was this Judith's, Judith's old room? I wonder. So uh, Tim gets up to go take a shower. And we get, you know, there's some boob shots there. Because these these Halloween movies, you got to throw one boob in there or, or two. Uh, and uh, my first thought is they're both they're both dead, aren't they? So Kara's across the street and she sees lights on at the house. She's like, oh, what's going on? So she calls over. Tim's in the shower and he's like, I need a towel. Um, and I'm like, Tim, you're you're in the bathroom. There's towels in the bathroom. So he's handed a towel uh, and he's like, thank you very much. And the towel is handed to him by an arm, by a hand that has the thorn tattoo. I'm like, Michael, you friggin' rascal. Now I watched this twice. I think he slits his throat. This guy, Tim, gets out, looks in the mirror, wipes the, the, the mirror with his hand instead of using like a towel or something, the towel that he has. Uh, and Michael comes up and I think slits his throat. But then I thought, does he cut him in the underarm? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The kill count is now at seven. So Kara calls over and she's like, oh, where's your mom? She's like, nobody's here. Just me and Tim. Uh, and she's like, I think someone's in the house. And she sees Michael come into the room. She's like, get out of there. Look out, get out. Michael's like, ha ha, chop, cut, boom, stab, stab, stab. Completely dead. Uh, so now there's eight kills. Um, his brother, well, no, she doesn't know about his brother. She just knows that this kid is dead. This girl is dead. Her friend, her brother's girlfriend is dead. And for some reason, for some reason, I guess Danny's very thorny. He leaves. He runs and he runs across the street. And we finally get the whole, uh, the, um, the Halloween theme for the first time in a long time. Uh, she, um, Kara runs over to the house with her. Danny's running up the stairs. She's like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. She grabs that fire poker thingy. And I'm thinking, okay, that, that makes sense. You gotta have some kind of weapon. If you think someone's in the house, there's some pretty good suspense up here. She goes upstairs. She's moving around really slowly. And I was like, okay, this is, this works pretty good. She finds, uh, Beth in bed. You know, she looks really nestled in bed, maybe a little red around her mouth. I'm not sure what's going on there. She pulls the blanket back. And you know what? I'm thinking, uh, yeah, she's dead. But now um, we see that her brother's dead, too. She didn't know if her brother's dead. And um, she doesn't realize both her parents are dead, too. She's like a complete um, orphan now. And I don't even know if she ever finds her dad because her dad exploded in the basement. She has no idea where her dad is, and it never, ever comes up. Um, she does see her mom, right? I believe so. So Danny is in his room. Um, she goes in there. She's like, Danny, we have to go. And we see Michael Myers just walking up, and he has this walk. I don't even know how to explain it, but it's almost like, it. I think he's actually trying to get around doors, but the way it looks, it's like he's got this little swagger in the way he walks these few steps. I was like, that is the coolest Michael Myers I've ever seen. So now she sees her mother's dead body drop down because that always happens. Great timing. She starts running down the stairs. Uh, she tells Danny to run out. So he runs out. She runs down the stairs. Michael follows her with an ax, but he tricked her 
Oh, wait, Danny's still upstairs. He tricked her and um, trips her, trips Michael Myers, who falls down the stairs, and apparently he's supposed to be dead. I don't know. Obviously, all the nothing can kill this guy. Why would trip falling down the stairs kill him? Or at least knock him out. So Kara goes down the stairs, slowly sees Michael lying there. Tommy and Loomis show up. Now they're like, all right, let's go back into our house because that's where everyone is, even though nobody's there anymore except that old lady. So Michael's lying there. Danny is there too, looking at him for some reason. And like, Danny, that's your step uncle slash cousin or something like that. Um, and it's like, dude, just take a step back or tell Danny to run out the back door. Instead, she's like, I'm going to come over and get you, Danny. She steps over Michael, who grabs her by the ankle, he twists it, but she gets up, he gets up, she gets away. Um, and I feel like I haven't mentioned this at all, but this mask is way better than the masks in four and five. Uh, this one felt more, less, this felt flatter on the face, I think, like a wider. I feel like the thorn were like, we need to get you an upgrade, Michael, and they got him a better mask. So Loomis and Tommy are at their house, and they're like, where's the baby? What's going on? Um... And they're all, they don't wonder where the two other people in the house are. They told not to leave or, or Tommy told not to leave. All of a sudden they run across the street and they're banging on a door. Please, please, please. Michael's coming. Michael's coming. They get into the house finally. And they're like, where the hell's the baby? Is the baby gone? And Tommy starts yelling. He's like, who knew? Who knew about the baby? Who else knew? And Loomis is like, nobody, nobody knew except me. And, and... And now we hear a voice that says, Danny, come to me. Danny turns and goes into a room, and there he is, the man in black. And who was it the entire time? Dr. Wynn. The entire time. It was the guy we only saw a couple times. What a betrayal! Uh, this doctor, all the way back in Halloween 1, I guess has been planning for this and has been part of this. Uh, and this this actor just passed away um, I think this past year, I think I mentioned that already. Um, the original actor who played Dr. Wynn died in 1995 when this film came out. Uh, but he's all of a sudden, he's just sitting there and it's Dr. Wynn. And um, it's like, he's got Danny on his lap and we still don't know where the baby is. But uh, it was like, wait a minute, this guy's the man in black the entire time. This is the guy who shot up the jail and everything. This guy who runs Smith's Grove. Like the entire time he had Michael there with him. Um, so I took this from the trivia. It says, Ferens was told, the writer was told uh, that even when they made part five, that no one had any idea who the man in black was. He said uh, he just walked in and walked through the movie. One of the biggest things they wanted to have answered was the identity of this guy. So he decided to go back in the mythology of the first film and did so by bringing in Dr. Wynn, who was, it says, the one who walking to the car with Loomis in part one. He's in the movie for 10 seconds in part one, and all of a sudden he's like the biggest character in the history of, um, of uh, you know, cinema. Now, I um, thought I found something clever. So, uh, and I maybe it was, maybe, no, see, it wasn't, because Wynn was chosen for um because he was a doctor in the first movie so i thought they gave this guy the name win for a reason i found an article on dictionary.com it says meet this is the article meet two extinct letters of the alphabet and those two letters of the alphabet are win 
and thorn. Now, come on. That to me says, oh, someone ha- knows all about these runes and all about these ancient, you know, uh, Druid, you know, alphabet or whatever, these ancient alphabets. And that's why they chose Win to be in Thorn. It was a wink, wink for those who knew. Uh, and I thought I found some re- something really cool, but nope, doesn't seem like that's the case at all. It just so happens that Dr. Wynn was his name way back in Halloween, the original, and the writer brought him back in. I went to the trivia and I was like, oh man, how does Wynn and Thorn, I, I like, what is this? This is so cool. Uh, nope, not cool at all. I mean, it is cool. It's actually, maybe I found something they accidentally made a cool connection, but, uh, it, it wasn't intentional, which sucks. Uh, so Kara runs upstairs and there's Mason Blankenship with the baby. Oh God, the baby's safe. Wait, she has a knife. She's bad too. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, some dudes come out of nowhere to grab her and (laughs) this is crazy. Kara looks this way and looks that way. And she jumps out of a window through some glass. Now, I don't know if she was pushed out or she jumped out, but um, she landed and she looks like she's dead or knocked out at least. When I watch the producer's cut, I'm thinking, wait, um, what is going on as far as, uh, you know, did she get pushed or did she jump out? I don't know. Here on out, I am going to stick with what we see in the theatrical cut. This is a long episode, and you know what? I don't mind. Uh, We're going to stick with what we see in the theatrical cut, but I want to go back and talk about what we see in the producer's cut because it is so, so different. So uh, Tommy and Loomis are all of a sudden there. They're like, they're they're right where Kara landed. She's not there. And he's like, wait, wait. And I'm, I'm thinking, wait, where did everyone go? And they're like, what happened? Why, why did they drug us? They didn't kill us. They drugged us. Why didn't they just kill us? I agree. Why did they just kill you? And Loomis is like, it's his game. And I know where he wants to play it. And Tommy and Loomis head back to Smith's Grove, which of course would have been spoiled by that van. Kara uh, and Kara wakes up in a locked room. Now, Loomis and Tommy walk in. Loomis pulls out his gun. He's like, you know, that's not going to work on Michael. He's like, I know. Nothing will work on Michael, but it will work on Dr. Wynn. He wants to go kill Wynn. So he goes to Dr. Wynn's office. And Wynn's like, oh, finally you're here. And he's, he's, um, he seems ready, like he was waiting for him. And um, uh, Loomis is like, why now? He says, well, you were the first one to see it. And you recognize its power. Evil, pure uncorrupted, ancient. We're at the dawn of a new age and I'm asking you to join me. And he says, I thought Michael was a monster, but you. And then someone comes up and bops him right on the head because he had his uh, had a gun out, knocks him right out. Uh, now Tommy's sitting in the hallway in this like long ass hallway by himself. He hears screams. So he walks right through this like, he says, maximum security. And he walks right through. And I think he even made fun of that. He hears uh, a patient he thinks it's Kara, but it's some patient. And she, like, I don't know what she's there for. Like, she's out there. She's like, oh, he's back and he's very angry. She didn't sound like that. And uh, she has a big stab wound in him. She falls over and dies. This movie, I don't, I don't believe this woman's in the producer's cut at all. Kill count is now at nine. So now we hear Kara yelling. And um, 
Tommy comes over and he starts smashing it with a, smashing the door. Michael Myers comes out. He's like, Hey, I'm here. I'm back. And, um, he starts walking over, gets really close. And Tommy has this look at his face like, Oh man, he's freaked out, but he doesn't stop. And he finally breaks through the door, gets them out. Um, but Michael grabs her and like through a door, through a, through a jail cell bars, Michael grabs her. He grabs a gun, shoots him point blank, like in the shoulder, boom, goes back but he's still stirring. And I, I made a note that Kara is dressed like Princess Leia in a white robe, and it's never explained. It will be explained in the producer's cut. So uh, they're, they're talking, they're walking over, and they hear, uh, they see Dr. Wynn, they see all these other doctors, uh, and they're like, we're in the, we're in the, we've never seen anything like this before. We're at the genetic engineering on this scale, and blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're, I don't know what they're talking about, but Dr. Wynn seems like he's preparing for some kind of surgery. Now they look into this room and we see that uh, the baby is there in the room and Danny is there too. So I don't know what they're going to be doing, but um, it's like, uh, are they going to kill the baby? Are they going to sacrifice the baby? I don't know. Are they going to take some genetics? It doesn't make any sense of what these doctors were doing, including Dr. Wynn, the man in black, the man behind all of this. He's there. He's prepped for surgery. The only difference is he was in like a red surgical smock which was kind of like uh ooky spooky uh and michael's just kind of walking around walks into a room and but they're hiding from him uh like this is all going on at the same time michael's just roaming around um and he looks like he's gone they're hiding kara and uh tommy and then michael grabs a big knife goes into the operating room and kills everyone kills Everyone who works in the operating room, while that's going on, they grab Danny, they grab the baby, they run out of there. This is what was changed. Like I, I can't even explain this. Has, none of this happens in the producer's cut. Dr. Wynn, from this first movie, the big shocker is that he is the man in black. The man who has been pulling the strings maybe the entire time. The man who has this, this giant cult that actually um, fed into Michael Myers becoming what he became. The man who broke Michael Myers out of jail, who kicked a dog in part five. And then Michael kills him in, a surgery, in an operating room in five seconds. No explanation. I wasn't even sure if he killed him, but we never see him again. So I'm going to say he's dead now. I don't know how many people are dead here because the final kill count they say are 20. So I'm going to say maybe seven people are killed in here. 10 to, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 16, I, maybe six or seven people are killed in this room. I don't know exactly. But um, Tommy, I said, Tommy and Carrie grab Danny and the baby and they run. And Michael's like, oh yeah, you guys. There's one of the guys in the surgery room who's like, help me, help me. And he's running, he's running after them. So you got this guy. And then you got Michael, and this is the fastest I've ever seen Michael. He's like briskly, like he's power walking after this guy. Boom, boom, boom. They get so far that they're able to close a door and and keep Michael out. But this guy's like, wait, you're going to leave me? And um, this guy gets caught. He gets killed. Boom, kill count, 16. And uh, now we have this chase through the hospital. Uh, they're going through all these different rooms. Kara sees a weird fetus in the wall. Uh, like in a tank with some runes on the wall. It doesn't make, like Smith Grove has gone completely bonkers bananas. Uh, 
Michael punches through the door, and then he starts chasing them. We see these syringes on this table, which they come back, even though I believe there are different syringes later, but the syringe comes back at least. So, uh, so now Tommy is standing there, and he's like, Michael, you've won. And he walks right up to him with his little bundle of joy. He's like, you've won. The, here's the baby. But it's not a baby. Instead, he goes, ha-ha. And he takes some some uh, some syringes, and he injects Michael with some sort of fluid. And Michael starts grabbing him and choking him and tosses him aside. And now Michael's like, he's like all effed up. And Kara takes a pipe and starts beating the crap out of him. Bam, bam. Bam, bam, he tries to kill her, but Danny yells, leave her alone. So he's like, okay, I'll leave her alone. He walks over towards Danny and the baby, and he's like, I can't quite reach you. Tommy comes up again. Boom, another injection into him. And uh, it's like all of a sudden uh, Loomis shows up out of nowhere. Like they knocked out um, they knocked out Dr. Loomis in the room with uh, Wynn, and they just left him there. He's like, you know what, let's leave him here. Leave him with his gun. It's completely fine. You know, and so they let him keep his gun the entire time while he's knocked out. It makes no sense. But he shows up and he's like, I've got to help you. He sees a keypad to try to open a door to let them through. And he just starts shooting it. Bang, bang, bang. It opens up. He gets Kara and the baby out, gets him into an elevator while Tommy is um, still smashing. Now Tommy's smashing Michael with a pipe over and over and over and over. And um, that's it. They walk outside, and Tommy and Kara and Danny and the baby, uh, now they go into a Jeep, and they're like, it's over. They get into a Jeep. They they tell Loomis, you know, you can come back with us. And um, he's like, no, no, no. I still have a little business to attend to. They, uh, they drive off, and back inside, we pan down. Now, that's it. We don't see anyone else. We pan down. And we see Michael Myers' mask by itself. And then you hear Loomis scream. We see a jack-o'-lantern. It fades to black. And that's the end of the movie. So they stab Michael with some, some syringes. They beat him up with a pipe. And they leave. I don't know where they go. But they leave. And now they're a family together, I guess. Uh, and I wrote kill count 18. But they're saying 20. Uh, so I, they're saying 20, a couple websites showed 20, um, but very choppy ending. Why did Michael take his mask off? Uh, why did Tommy just leave him there? Uh, there were some weird moments where Michael's mask had all this goop on it. Like when Tommy was beating him, does no explanation. Was it a vision? I don't know. I, I wrote down where are the effing cops? I mentioned that. And, um, what about Danny seeing things? Like what about Danny having these visions and seeing things? Um, and you wonder why this only got a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that is the end of the original Curse of Michael Myers. Now, I right after that, I watched the producer's cut. I talked about um, much of this. I talked about don't, you know, they mentioned there's no dumb, don't push. Push Jamie Lloyd. Uh, Loomis does the, um, does the voiceover. There's the mom, Danny's mom, like, monsters, stay away. I feel like that's completely wasn't in the original. Uh, I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned all this. He mentions a stroke. I don't remember that being mentioned in the original. Uh, we show Loomis going for his gun back in his house. I don't think that was mentioned in the original. Uh, we, we talked about everything that happened with with Dan, with Jamie. There's an extra scene with Tim and Danny are making a smoothie together. Um, and the whole scene I talked about, the man in black. Um, 
Oh, and there's the one scene where they look out the window and it's like, that's your daughter. And he's like, she's not my daughter anymore. That wasn't in the original. I don't know why it's there. Um, the whole hospital, I talked about this, Jamie and surgery, uh, Game Boy sound effects, gets shot in the head, bing, bang, boom. Um, so the dad's head doesn't explode in this version, the wrong van for the pl- for the radio guy. Uh, Kara, oh, okay, and this is where things change. So remember Kara jumps out the window and or was pushed out the window and um the next thing we know she's in a locked room. Well, in the producer's cut, this is where the whole new beginning happened. The whole new ending happens. So she jumps out of the window or gets pushed out, doesn't matter. She wakes up tied to a rock in this in the thorn clubhouse area. She's got that flowing white dress on, that Princess Leia dress, and she's got like this garland shit in her hair. So I'm like, okay, that at least explains why she's dressed like this. Uh, Tommy tells Loomis about the runes. Now, they're in the hallway, okay? When they're in the hallway walking into the um, into Smith's Grove, he tells Loomis all about the runes and Thorn, and um, that's before Loomis says, I'm going to go kill win so now loomis knows all about thorn he's like oh all this stuff that all that stuff wasn't in the original this time when he goes to win's office uh win's dressed like he's in um he's in flash gordon he's got a huge ass black robe on with his winged like collar and he's like he wants loomis to join him and he um he knew that he'd lead them back to jamie's baby uh so same thing, they bop him on the head. It's a little different, but they do that they bop him on the head again, leave him there again. Now, instead of Tommy going to see the the um the crazy woman getting killed and then seeing uh the um finding Kara in the room, he kind of leans over and he like into this viewing area where he sees the big cult, the whole group, um, and they Oh, no, first, I'm sorry, he follows this thorn cult guy down the hall. We see a guy in a robe, and he follows him. uh, And back over it, and when, I apologize, he says, they've given Michael the gift of thorn. Then they knock him out, and Wynn leaves him there. He actually says, I'll leave him here, uh, which explains why they left him there. But the gun's still there, kind of dumb. So now Tommy stumbles upon the cult. He looks over, and I think he sees Wynn's secretary. He sees Mrs. Blankenship. There's a whole lot of people there, and they're all in robes. And Wynn is there with the baby, ready to do some sort of a sacrifice to uh, to Kara, who's tied up. Or some I don't know what the connection of the baby is. I'm not sure exactly. But uh, Danny's there, too, standing there. And so is Michael Myers, just, just standing there, I guess, waiting for his final sacrifice. But he's like... You know, he just looks like he's kind of the right-hand man. Like, it's weird. And then, um, you know, he's ready to kill the baby. But wait, this is when Kara says, Michael, uh, it's your baby, isn't it? This is your baby. This is in this version. And apparently Michael impregnated his own niece. Yuck. But she, they were captive. they were captive in this cult together. So there was a chance for that to happen. I didn't even know Michael could, you know perform but that's disgusting and gross and i'm glad that was actually cut out of the movie uh loomis shows up and tommy's doing something with the runes oh that's right so they um i'm sorry tommy shows up with a knife he sees a robe he's like oh there's a robe i can dress in because that happens in movies all the time he sneaks down grabs a knife puts it to win's throat and um 
he just takes the baby, Kara and Danny, and they go, let's get out of here. Now Michael goes after them, okay? Loomis shows up the same way, um, and, but Tommy is standing there and doing something with the runes. I think he slices his hand, um, and he rubs it on the ground like they're in Supernatural with all these little runes around, and Michael shows up, and he says, Sam Hain. And Michael, oh, Michael starts, he starts choking Michael, and he says, Sam Hain. Michael lets him go, and he just stands there. Uh, Tommy goes outside. He's like, it worked. The power of the runes stopped him. And then they get in the Jeep, and they leave exactly the same way. Michael's standing there, and wins like, um, what did they, what have they done to you? What have they done to you? He walks up to, to Michael like, what have they done to you? And, you know, because he's frozen from the power of the rune. <laughs> so stupid. And, but you see Michael ball his fist. So the exact same thing happens outside where Tara, Ta Tommy, Cara, Danny, and the baby all say goodbye to Loomis in the same way. And he says, I have some unfinished business to attend to. So he goes back in and he sees Michael just lying there on the ground. He says, Michael, it's all over. It's all over. Then he takes off the mask and it's not Michael. It's Wynn. And Wynn says, Michael, M Michael's gone. It's your game now, Loomis. And Loomis looks at his wrist and the thorn rune symbol just appears on his wrist. Like, what the hell does that mean? And he goes, Rah! and he gives that scream that they used at the end of the, uh, the theatrical cut, I guess, to make him seem like he's dead. And then there was kind of a good shot where we see the man in black walking away. The man in black's walking away. But, and his, head, his hand is burnt. And he doesn't have steel toe shoes on. He has Michael's shoes because that is Michael Myers walking away without his mask. We don't see his face, but we do see like his profile, a silhouette. And then we get one more shot of the Myers house. And then, it, and then the jack-o'-lantern, it might be a different jack-o'-lantern. And then it goes to black and again says in the memory of Donald Pleasance. I can't believe I've talked about this movie for almost two hours long but because there were two versions, I wanted to watch both versions and present to you kind of the, the amalgamation of what I thought um, these two, uh, what the differences were. Because I've heard so much about the thorn cut to being it better and it being better. And I have to admit, yes, it's better. There's still some dumb stuff in it. You know, the, the, uh, like the whole, the, the, freezing and all that stuff is kind of dumb but it logically works a little better the van stuff with the smith's grove that's dumb uh but it's a better movie it's a better movie and and uh jamie gets a little little more to do uh but even that makes a little more sense because when asking where's the baby or like stuff you know it just him being around makes sense a little more because he's the one who actually killed jamie uh but that is the end of this thorn. That is the end of this cult. I don't think it ever comes up again unless Rob Zombie makes some reference to it. Uh, I've only seen one of the zombies. So I'm getting, gearing myself up for that. But even though it's the end of, of the, uh, it's the end of Dr. Loomis, as Donald Pleasance is Dr. Loomis, because we'll see Dr. Loomis again. Uh, it's the end of... Um, Jamie Lloyd. I don't think that name is 
ever referenced again. I could be wrong. Unless it's a, you know, that didn't, that never happened. One of those things. Uh, but it's kind of the end of the, uh, the series as we know it. Uh, this ne- these next two, even though they're technically, they're not, I don't know. I wouldn't even know if they're sequels to these. I mean, they're technically sequels, but I wonder, it's been so long. I wonder if they're completely disconnected. I'll be looking forward to revisiting uh, those, even though stuff happens in these movies that, again, then get completely erased, um, which is fine with me. Some of these movies, it's good that they get erased, but they still happened. You know, it's like Star Wars, where they took uh, all those old Star Wars expanded universe, and they're like, no, 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 that's not really, uh, that didn't actually happen in the storyline. That's just legends. I'm fine with that. They're still fun stories. They're Elseworlds. And um, that's what I consider these. These are almost, are these the Elseworlds or the future Halloween movies, the Elseworlds, the other stories? I don't know, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to um, revisiting Halloween H2O. I think I liked it at the time, but it's been a while. And I feel like these next two movies are going to be very different in style. Um, a little polished, a lot more pretty people, uh, and not or a lot more recognizable people, I should say. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about those next week. Wow, I can't believe this is I can't believe this is the longest one. This is the one that chose to be the longest one, but hey, it happens. Uh, it, 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 a movie this this exciting. And I should say a movie with this much story behind it, because the the fact that they there are such two very different endings is just fascinating to me that they had to go and still on a small budget, just do a whole different ending. And yet you see the new ending is a little quick and dumb and everything that happens to win in that ending is dumb compared to kind of what happens at the end of this one, even though it's less it's dumb it's still less dumb that's my final verdict the producer's cut is less dumb than the theatrical cut so my friends that's it i'm done until next friday i've talked way too long tonight i want to thank you for listening thank you for subscribing if you whether you're listening through apple through spotify through google or whatever other podcast whether and if you're watching on youtube I thank you so much for finding the show and for uh, for listening to me babble for hours and hours about silly, awesome slasher movies. Um, I'll be back next week to talk Halloween H2O. And just to let you know, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality. The show has its own Twitter account at Slash Horror. And of course, everything we do can be found at fansnotexperts.com. So that is it. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for finding the show. Uh, I saw someone else gave us a, a rating on uh, Apple Podcast. I appreciate that so much. If you're able to just give a little rating, whether it's on Spotify or Apple, uh, that means a lot. It helps people find the show. It makes the show kind of move up in the ranks. Uh, and for the search algorithms or whatever, I don't know. I just made that up, I think. Or it's right. I don't know. Uh, but... Again, I appreciate you finding this show. And, you know, I've started this from scratch. So uh, anytime one person listens or finds or watches, uh, it just, it just, it goes, uh, it just, it's awesome. I appreciate it so much. So that's it. Thanks again. 
uh, and I will see you next week. But until then, remember, it's fun to be scared. That's not experts.